This is episode 79 of the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA. My name is Jonathan Wiley, and I am joined by two of my favorite people today. First up, Mindy Carney. Hey there. And we have Beth Swans with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's always a good day when we have Beth Swans on the podcast. Well, uh, it's always a good day when I can be on the podcast. <laughs> Everybody is in a remote uh, location today, yes, so yep. this will be interesting to see how it all plays out. But um, yes, one day we'll get to podcast in the same room as each other again. It just might not be 2020. Oh, yeah. Is it going to be 2021? That's where I I am not a negative Nelly, but I'm starting to think like 2021, that's a good possibility for us too, probably. And it's going to be here quite quickly. It is. Right? I know. I'm like, right? geez, it's only like three months away, realistically. Yeah. yeah. What did it say? 120 Eight days until Christmas or some crazy number like that. Really? I might put my Christmas tree up early, like in October. I don't really like Halloween. I really like my <laughs> fall decorations, but I might just put it up. I feel like it makes you happier, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. There's no rules for this stuff. Right. No mm-hmm. rules in 2020. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And speaking of no rules, we're going to switch up the format of the podcast today. We don't really have any news and follow-up to go with, so I am going to ask my two illustrious guests here for their hot takes on some hot topics. Hot takes. Uh, First up, Amber sent this around by email. I thought it was an interesting one that maybe we should just inform people about and maybe have a discussion about it at the same time. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to start with a short disclaimer. If you have students who are in earshot of the podcast, (laughs) maybe you want to pause the podcast or put some headphones on or something else here. And we're not going to start cursing and using bad language here, but... It is in regards to cheating on Mm -hmm. a Google form. Oh, yes. So um, Amber sent a video around that she saw on YouTube um, from the channel The Flexi Classroom. And this is from a teacher who found that in her school, students were cheating on Google Forms. And the way they were doing it was they were taking advantage of something that's built into all browsers – um, and do it in slightly different ways in different browsers. But inside of Chrome, and if you have a Google form up as a quiz, you can right-click on the page and choose View Page Source. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it reveals all the HTML um, code that goes into making the website. And as you scroll mm-hmm. down that page and you get to the multiple choice questions, with a little bit of um, ingenuity, you can quickly work out which one of the choices are the correct answer and which one of the choices are the wrong answer. Does this so, make anybody else laugh? Like, I just think... You smart kids. Holy cow, this is awesome. And then I feel bad because I'm like, all oh, those poor teachers. But oh my gosh, if you're working that hard to cheat on a quiz, I don't know. Maybe you should just get it. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, you don't have to work that hard, really. It's a right click That's and then true. you scroll down. But yeah. isn't it interesting that people came up with that option yeah. or looked into that option? Yeah. Well, I think it brings up the whole thing that we've talked about before with if you're doing an assessment online, the mm-hmm. reality is a student can pull their phone up and look for the right answers. So right. It's, it's just another way of gaming the system. Mm-hmm. And I just think teachers have to be very aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not like when we did paper and pencil quizzes, kids weren't finding ways to cheat either by writing weren't answers they? on the inside of their palms or something like that. Weren't or they? they were. I was one <laughs> yeah, of those kids. I know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They, they were doing all that already. It's just they're finding high-tech ways of cheating now. I, yeah. I saw something recently about kids using their Apple Watch to store notes or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they would mm-hmm. just like glance down at their their Apple Watch and they, they'd see all the formulas or things that they had to try and remember on their Apple Watch instead. And it's, mm-hmm. it makes you think about assessment for sure. That's the whole thing. Like, like if, if we know that these things are there, like what are we really – is that truly a demonstration of learning, having them choose one of four answers? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the whole part of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I would, I mean, when you said the formula thing, it made me kind of chuckle too, because like if you were to put a formula up for me, I still wouldn't, there's a good chance I might not know how to use it, even if I had the formula. So 
the formula isn't necessarily the important part because that you can Google, right? It's more about the application of that formula and knowing what numbers go where in that formula. So to me, and I think I had a teacher who did this, like you could take the formulas into the test with you, but you had to know how to use them. And I didn't, but I don't know. Yeah. That's the other thing that if it is, sometimes I wonder if the time limit is more important because you, that would show that you actually could use that formula. Mm-hmm. You could Effectively, put it yeah. to use instead of, do I really need to remember? Just like, you know, way back when we had to do the footnotes and all that kind of stuff at the bottom of our page, oh, you probably, you guys aren't old enough to have done that, but we had to memorize, is there a colon? Is it underlined? All this kind of junk. Well, like, what is the purpose of that? Yeah. Memorizing is what I would keep asking. Mm-hmm. So I'll put a a link to that video in the show notes if you want to watch it because she shows exactly how the kids um, found it and you'll be able to see how you can replicate this yourself. But she has a solution on how to do it and it's a little bit convoluted. It's in terms of assigning through Google Classroom. I think you have to assign it as an assignment and not as a quiz. But then when you do it that way, you know, it doesn't import the grades back over. So I don't know. It's it's really just, I think what you guys were were talking about there is thinking about how you are assessing student learning and how you're Mm -hmm. getting them to show what they know. Mm-hmm. Um, Google Forms are, are great for quick, easy assessments, but um, maybe this is just more evidence that you shouldn't put your, you know, end of year or end of unit quiz on there. Yeah. So I have a, I don't know. And I, I uh, have been recently watching all videos in like double time because I just feel like I don't have time to sit through stuff right now. But um, so is this just for multiple choice or like, I wonder what it looks like for checkboxes or something like that. So is it just the the way you're asking the question. Like if you could use checkboxes, is it harder to tell what the right answer is? Or what if there's three right answers out of the four or something like that? It probably still shows up as, isn't it null or something like that? You look for the word null or. Yes. It's got null zero or null two okay. next to it, it or something. Yeah. Mm, interesting. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> something to explore and Smarty experiment kids. with. Yes. Yeah. Right. What a great place to start a coding conversation. I mean, like here's true application for coding right now. And then all of the other teachers hate you because you've taught the kids how to, yeah. Don't be that teacher. All right. Hot take number two. Um, I saw this on Twitter. I think I sent it to you guys in in DMs. But uh, there's a great tweet by Josh Stumpenhorst that got a great conversation going around on Twitter I'll just read you the tweet. It says, my son's schools, middle schools and high school, have required kids to leave cameras on for the entire class periods during remote learning. Mm -hmm. I told them they can turn them off as needed, and I will take the heat for that decision. Mm -hmm. What do you think about schools requiring kids to have webcams on during synchronous learning sessions? Well, I just think there's a lot of privacy issues. I think that the only way that that would be okay is if you also showed them how to put in a fake background right? to say that that I'm going to block out. Or if you provide a school, provide my class has this background, we're all going to use this Mm -hmm. so that everybody's using the very same thing. Otherwise, I just think that it is um, demonstrating the haves and the have nots in an inappropriate way. Mm hmm. I would agree. So I have a question about this because um, in the spring when my kids were um, Zooming all of the time and they were watching me Zoom too and they had seen, we did like some fun like theme days, right? Where we chose different backgrounds just for something different. So we did a Star Wars one or like something from the 80s or whatever. So my kids then were like, well, how do I put a background on? I had to actually create a Zoom account for them to be able to add backgrounds. Is that still the case? Anybody know? You couldn't just have a Zoom background if you were just logging in because you're just clicking the link and it puts you right in. And I, so I had to create accounts for them and then they could. So that could be an issue too. So the background thing is a really great solution. But what if your kids have to have um, Zoom accounts? And like, technically, I don't think they were even like legally old enough to have like, that's my disclaimer is I'm very aware that we kind of broke some protocol and terms and conditions. But I was like, eh. Everybody's Zooming these days. It's fine. Um, But I think that's a great solution, but you have to be aware of um, that too. 
I don't know. And I also understand why they want them to have their web. I mean, they want to know that they're there and they're engaged and it's easier to read faces than it is a black screen. And it's really hard to teach to a black screen too. So I see both sides. But if we really think about what's best for our kids and their social emotional health, I don't know. I go with kids can turn off webcams if they want. And I'll just throw this out there as an example, and I'm not going to call out anyone in particular, but the three of us on this Zoom call have probably all done Zoom calls or meet calls with whole staff mm-hmm. or whole classes of teachers mm-hmm. and probably had a lot of black screens, if not yeah. all black screens from adults. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think you guys probably like me will just say, hey, it's fine. If you want to turn on your cameras, that's fine. If you don't, then that's fine too. I know there's always a lot going on in people's houses and kids mm-hmm. and parents and, right. you know. Spouses but it's and stuff also like that. Really but... hard to be staring at a black screen and teaching or talking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. So, I, and I wonder if there's a happy medium. You know, like yeah. if we say it needs to be on for a little bit, but not all the time. But again, yeah. like I remember reading that article that you sent, and like they were talking about what if kids are homeless and they're sitting yeah, in a car, but nobody right. knows they're homeless. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. just really, uh, yeah. I don't know the answer. I don't either. Except maybe as a teacher, it's just another example of how you really have to know your kids. Mm-hmm. You really have to know their situations to be able to make the best call. I don't know. Yeah. I like the idea of, you know, on and off at different times because it, it goes back to another thing that I've seen or experienced as a participant, which I really appreciate is when, you know, the, you're sent like an agenda for the Zoom call and you can see like ahead of time, we're going to have a break here. We're mm-hmm. going to do this and then this and then this and then have a break. And, you know, if you could say, so for this part, when I'm teaching and instructing for these 15 minutes, because it's not going to be longer than that, then we have cameras on. And then we're going to give you guys some time to practice and do hands-on, and then you don't need cameras. Or if you're going into breakout rooms, you turn cameras on or or something like that. I don't, I don't know. I don't think yeah. there's an easy answer to this. I can definitely see both, both sides of this coin. Well, and what if like – oh, go ahead, Beth. Well, I was just thinking about – I also have seen articles where some schools are like requiring uniforms when you're doing mm. calls. Or everybody has to, you know, they're 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 putting a dress code on students when they're in a Zoom call. Um, I think all kids was, should wear shirts during Zoom calls. Well, there was a teacher that was fi- <laughs> fired because the teacher didn't have a shirt on. I think all teachers should wear shirts during Zoom calls. I think so too. I have a real strong feeling about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think we can go the raw. We can go too far each way. Like, yeah. I wonder what if. Um, you know, if you're going to do something like that where you're requiring kids to um, keep their video on, if teachers or if families could request like fabric or something like that to hang mm. like against a In wall the or mm-hmm. yeah, so that it becomes just a. But then, I mean, if they're little kids, they have to have someone who's, you know, made that request or help them hang it or, you know, but it might yeah. it might be a, a start to a conversation anyway. The other thing I heard on, on this was like, you know, when you're doing a Zoom call, it's kind of like looking in a mirror. And with those middle school students and things mm-hmm. are starting to get really self-conscious. They don't yeah. not want to look at themselves yeah. or see themselves right. for that extended period of time. So, Or worry about their classmates taking screenshots or, you know. Yeah. I don't know. There's Definitely. lots. There's lots going on. Yeah. These are the issues of Ooh, 2020, 2020 that we have to wrestle with. Eh? Yep. Thanks, 2020. Yeah, thanks a lot, 2020. All right. So up next, serve to you piping hot. Our main course today is, oh, wow, I didn't see this title until now. Perfecting Playlists. That's a tall order, Jonathan Wiley. <laughs> I thought we needed some alliteration today. <gasps> Okay, we got a lot of problems to solve. Let's do this. So um, that's one of the reasons, I mean, we love Beth and we love having her on the show, but um, Beth is definitely our blended learning and personalized learning expert on the team. And so we often go to her to have conversations around um, different aspects of blended learning and personalized learning. And we really feel like playlists are powerful. That might have been a better way to go today, but... Powerful playlists, um, perfecting powerful playlists, 
uh, how it might be a, a useful tool or a structure to your classroom that might help in socially distanced classrooms or balancing between. We've got schools right now that have some kids at home and some kids that are coming face to face every day, all day. How do we um, keep that all organized and kids moving in the right direction? And so playlists have become maybe a little bit of a, a conversation starter here today. I agree. I, I think, you know, we've been talking about playlists for a long time. Right. And they really have evolved. And I think this year especially, they look um, different than they have in the past. So basically, a playlist is a roadmap for students. So it's giving them um, a list of some sort with tasks and that there's all, I mean, like, that's the beginning point, a list of tasks for students. Mm-hmm. Um, we can build in choice. We can build in differentiation. We can build in all different kinds of things to a playlist. But basically, in its essence, it's, it's a list of things for students to do. And I think that one of the things this year, especially um, because of where students experienced last spring, um, playlists are going to be especially important because you can build in skills that students were maybe not, haven't perfected yet from last year into as a review or into tasks this year. Um, That's one thing that can happen. The other thing is that as students move from face-to-face to distance learning, if that's, you know, I have a feeling this is going to be a lot of ebb and flow this year. Right. They also have teachers that are in hybrid where they have students face-to-face for a couple of days and they're not. Right. Playlists can kind of carry them through to that when you're not with a teacher. The goal really is to build independence. How do you do that? Well, a playlist starts building that independence for students. So, Beth, in the spring, you mentioned the spring, we saw a lot of choice boards going around because we had this voluntary learning. People weren't quite sure how long we were going to be out of school for. Turned out it was quite a while. But um, we had a lot of people creating choice boards uh, with activities for kids to choose from. And you talked about how playlists can have choices and differentiation based in there. How do you How do you help people understand the difference between playlists and choice boards and checklists and are they, are they interrelated is there common themes that go through them it's a really good question and i feel like when i talk to teachers what they want is a very clear definition of the three mm-hmm. um, i think that the goal of any of these three is to hand over the process of learning to your students to me a choice board is a li- is choices of tasks It could be to demonstrate what they've learned. It could be to explore a new topic. It could be um, different ways of gaining information, but they're all equal. So a choice board says all of these different ways of doing whatever this is are equal. A playlist is more, um, uh, it's like a process. So you're going to have something that introduces a content of some sort. Then they're going to have, I mean, a choice board could be part of a playlist. Here's three different ways you can learn about crickets. There's a video. Here's an article. Here is a, kind of a learning activity. You choose which of those three you want to do. But, and, but that's not the whole playlist because then you're going to apply it. So it takes you through a more complete process of learning. Um, often playlists have teacher checkpoints built in. So students are going to do this task and they're going to check in with their teachers where a choice board is just choices. There's not anything to kind of tie it all together, which I think that's what, where some of the learning fell apart this spring for some people because they weren't connected. It was just do this or do this or do this. And it wasn't like moving a a, um, unit or moving a standard forward where a playlist does. What did a teacher say to me yesterday? Um, cause I was talking about playlists and, um, we, I can't remember. I think she was, um, maybe an art teacher or something. And I said, well, if a playlist, maybe what you're talking about, what you're looking for is a little bit more of a choice board. Like you don't want to force anything or, you know, so if a choice board works for, um, your, your process or whatever, then use that. And she said, well, I tried choice boards in the spring and they were really unsuccessful. And I think some of it is, is, that students at that point in the year might not have been used to 
getting lots of choices. And all of a sudden they've got 15 choices and we were doing the best we could, right? Mm -hmm. But kids were Mm -hmm. like, well, I can't make a choice from 15 things. So if you are starting to provide some choice or you are um, this year, like, you know what, I'm going to build some of those things into a playlist, or maybe I am going to try and tweak this idea of a choice board. You have to remember that you have to allow students to work their way through or grow their ability to choose the right type of learning activity or know what is going to be the most engaging for them. So handing them over 15 um, choices isn't going to work. You might want to start with just, you know, choose if you'd like to use a crayon or a pencil today you know, and start with those really small things. Absolutely. The other thing that I saw in a lot of choice boards was it was just a website. It didn't actually tell them what to do. Right. It didn't have some sort of a, so how am I going to apply this? It just Mm -hmm. was a list of websites to explore, which there's nothing wrong with that. But then what are you going to do with that exploration? Like students need to have more frames or more parameters of, what are we going to do next? Mm-hmm. So are there like templates or like structures that teachers could apply to a playlist? How, how would they get started if they hadn't done something like this before? Absolutely. Um, so I liked, I mean, there's, there's lots of templates. One that I would highly recommend is called HyperDocs and we'll link this in the show notes, but mm-hmm. HyperDocs is a Google, it uses a Google doc as a template and there are different um descriptors. There's, there's explore, there's reflect, there's all kinds of different descriptors and you build um, tasks around each of those different stages of a a lesson. There's a lot. And I know that Mindy was working to kind of narrow that down as a beginning point for playlists. Yeah. So um, I, once again, was talking to a school district. It's kind of the first time they'd had this conversation and looking at that um, hyperdocs, template can be kind of overwhelming. So I think there's like eight different sections. So it's a lot, especially if you've never done something like that before. And also we're trying to, you know, accelerate our learning a little bit here and and catch up where we left off and finish up some unfinished learning. So we really, um, one of the things I suggested to them was that they use just three aspects of that HyperDocs template, which were explore, explain, apply, because I really felt like those were the meat of um, that playlist. There, The other ones after that are like reflect and share, which are also super important. But if you're just getting started, maybe those three chunks are what you would um, really work on establishing some norms and routines through those three chunks. And as you grow your practice and your students become more comfortable, you might start filling in some of those other parts of an instructional lesson that you'd like students to kind of walk through. But I think it, it taking a smaller chunk makes it more manageable for you and for your students who might not have a lot of experience, um, you know, having more control over their own learning. Absolutely. The other thing that I would add is sometimes people think a playlist is something that has to happen in one class period. Right. They can be over several days. They can be over a week. I mean, I've seen playlists that are an entire unit or an entire standard. It's, it's the whole thing laid out for students. And one of the, one of the pluses of that, especially as kids get older, um, there, we have a lot of students that like to see the big picture before you start breaking it down into smaller chunks that allows them to see the whole roadmap instead of just tiny pieces like normally teachers as teachers we show to our students just today's portion of a learning mm-hmm. process this shows the right. whole thing i think that's really helpful as we try to hand learning over to students more and more yeah and as teachers are you know making that transition towards having to prepare for virtual learning and things like that. Now they're, they're realizing that, you know, it, we, I can't just do face-to-face on a Zoom call. It's, it's got to be different than that. And a playlist could provide them some of that structure where, you know, like you said, hey, this is our, this is our work for the week. This is what we're going to work through. And, you know, you, so you don't have to have a Zoom call every, every day teaching and explaining and processing things. If you structured a playlist in that way that you could, you know, put that out at the beginning of the week and make yourself available at office hours or have check-ins with small groups of students, almost like a PBL type project where, you know, you're just checking in to see how the students are doing, then, you know, that 
that could give you some more flexibility as a teacher on the teaching side. Also for our schools that are going hybrid. So if you have students with you face-to-face for two days, then they're going to have three days of online away from you. One playlist, uh, you set the stage, those face-to-face days, then they have something to actually continue their learning. Because the other part that I think is super important, when I was teaching, which has been a while ago, I mean, I would put a list on the board of what I wanted students to do. That often was um, the leftovers of what needed to be accomplished. And sometimes there were time fillers up there because I needed students to Mm -hmm. be active, but not with me. So a playlist takes that away because all the things they're doing are moving their learning forward. So it's much more focused and much more like meaty. Um, I, as Mindy and I were talking earlier, I said, you know, I've seen playlists that include color a picture of a pumpkin, do this art project, which is just for a bulletin board in the classroom. You know, that's, that's okay if the goal is to learn how to color inside the lines. But after about kindergarten, that is not necessarily one of our learning standards. So we need to really be conscious of what we're putting on those playlists because it's all about moving learning forward. It's not about filling time. And I don't, that sounds really negative. And I was a classroom, I was a fourth grade teacher for a long time. I know what that feels like, but I, I think in this learning environment, especially, we need to like, be lean and focused on Mm -hmm. our, what we're doing with the students because that's precious time. And so really being aware of what we're asking kids to do is important. I just think it's really, you know, to kind of reiterate what you said, it's just about being purposeful in all of our teaching. So the fun doesn't have to go away and the, you know, it's, take it as a brain break instead and say, for this 10 minutes, we're just going to color this pumpkin picture. We're going to take it as a brain break. But those playlists really need to stay focused on the learning because like you said, it's a roadmap. So if all of a sudden with that roadmap, I plop in, you know, busy work that doesn't attach to that learning, students start to think, eh, how important is this work? I mean, they're going to find where they find, where where they're engaged. And I think if you want to use it as brain break, call it a brain break because that's what it is, but keep it off of the playlist. So I feel like I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to throw it out there for the benefit of our, our listeners here. And that's in regards to, uh, Mindy was talking about HyperDocs based off of Google Doc. Are playlists better when they're digital? Do they have to be digital formats or how does that work? Could you send home paper playlists? So here's, here's my two cents on that. Yeah. I am a digital learning consultant, but I am an analog person. I love checking things off of my list. So I absolutely would hand students a paper playlist um, in my classroom. I would partner that with a digital playlist because I, especially in the beginning, I think it's really important to have students feel what it means to check things off of a list because there's a huge sense of accomplishment with that. But I think that the power of a digital playlist is you can include links And Mm -hmm, that's really part of what we're talking about also. So I think they could definitely be two pieces that you have together. One of the other things that I saw really early on, I I was working with a teacher that was putting playlists into her sixth grade class. She included a time frame. Like she said, this activity should take you about 15 minutes. This activity should take you about 10 minutes. I think that was really, really helpful because kids have no sense of time is really skewed it for a lot of our students. So helping them understand, like if something t- should take you 30 minutes, that's a higher, that's a, a bigger focus than something that should take you five minutes. Right. Cause we've all assigned stuff as teachers and then had that one student come back after five minutes and say, I'm done. And I'm like, what do you mean you're done? This was supposed to take half an hour. And mm-hmm. nobody told them it was supposed to take half an hour, but they, they just either didn't do it properly or they, you know, finished quicker than you thought they would. And so having those time expectations are, are good for both sides. I think. Yeah. I think also, especially if we're thinking about things that are going to be sent home, I think for parents yeah. or any other caretaker that is providing support, having a, a time suggested is key. Um, I know I had the experience of a student saying, I worked on this for, you know, an hour and a half last night. I couldn't get this problem. Well, 
then you should stop. This is not something that should take you an hour and a half. So anyway, that, that understanding I think is also helpful. I'm going to toss one more thing out here because I think it's important. It's a conversation that Beth and I have had because in playlists, we talked about teacher check-ins and a lot of times there's many lessons or small group instruction built into that um, time. And with COVID, we're hearing either that teachers are only allowed to have students at their desks or at like their small table for 10 minutes at a time. um, And they have to be like double masked and the kids have to be masked or they're not allowing that to happen at all. And the kids have to stay, you know, six feet apart. So what are some workarounds or what would you two do in this type of situation when small group instruction might not be small group instruction? Like it, it doesn't, it's not going to look the same. So do we have any solutions or any thoughts around teachers who maybe are looking to do that, but don't know how? So one of the things I would say is I think there's absolutely a place for whole group instruction. Playlists are not the only thing going on in a classroom. So if you have a whole group instruction for in, where you would have done a small group, but you're doing a whole group, then the follow-up could be differentiated based on for students specifically. So you still could do some of that. Then you as a teacher would follow up with small it could be one-on-one or two at a time that if that's a possibility at a table. Um, I think it means for teachers probably doing more one-on-one or more paired um, check-ins and small group. That, that That's what your small group looks like. The other thing that I wondered is if you can, if you can set students, if they're in desks in your classroom, and if you can set them up to be six feet apart, then the teacher is kind of, in proximity with that, that's where your group of students is actually. So they're not clustered at your table, but they're in desks, but you're still using small group. Um, I know we've talked about this. I think students can clue in and clue out a lot easier to multiple things going on in a classroom than I can as a teacher. Like I learn better when it's quiet. I don't think that's true for our kids today necessarily. They're used to lots of things coming at them. So I think that a teacher teaching a group at a t- at desks in one area of the room is not going to necessarily distract what's going on in other places in your classroom. That's I I mean that's my what my gut says. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a lot of cleaning off of desks, and if yeah. you could create that area where kids come to you and then leave, that's wonderful. But a lot of classrooms, that's not going to be a possibility. So it's the teacher mm-hmm. moving probably instead of the kids. Mm -hmm. The same with materials that we used to share. I think it's going to be more, um, we're going to have to figure out how to do their own materials instead of sharing them in in a a group rotation like we would think about in the past. So if you're doing that whole group instruction where, you know, everybody gets that same learning at the same time, just that big picture overview type of stuff, what is what do differentiated playlists look like? How do you how do you tailor the learning for for different students and different abilities and different needs? And do people all get the same playlist, or do you make multiple copies of the same playlist? What's what's your best advice for that, Beth? So I've seen it a lot of different ways in classrooms. I've seen some classrooms where they actually have different colored playlists for different groups of students. And those playlists may be lengthened or shortened based on needs. I've also seen teachers who create personalized playlists for some students where they highlight. For some kids, having a whole list is too overwhelming. So Mm -hmm. you highlight today, here's the one thing I want you to get done. Then they check in with a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, Or even I've also seen one where they actually tore the playlist and just handed that first part to a student. Then when you're finished with that part, now I'm going to tear it and give you the next piece. It has a lot to do with that. How do you create them? And I'm, you know, I think this, this works in elementary. It also works in high school in a different way. There, maybe you've got a digital copy, but you're still highlighting the things on that list for specific students. Um, I think that for kids that are at the kind of, they already understand it. Like I would definitely say, formative assessment on a topic to see what kids know before you start. And then that's going to be what your 
creating playlists off of. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you've got kids that know most of it, their playlist is going to be different sideways explorations or different sideways applications. So it could be completely different from what you have with the majority of your kids based on what they already know. Yeah. And the nice thing about doing it digitally and like in classroom or seesaw is that you could assign one doc to these group of students and then another doc to another group of students and everybody gets an assignment and it looks like everybody gets an assignment. Everybody's got a playlist, but just they have different playlists, I guess. I would also recommend early on as you start using playlists in classrooms that you build in reflection time for students to be able to give you feedback as a teacher. Is this working for them? Is this not working? What are the parts that are like, because sometimes, you know, the links don't work or sometimes the task just didn't go as we all know, the way we thought it was going to go. They need to be able to give you that information and they need to be able to hear you accept that information and act on it differently the next time as we continue to build this learning partnership in our classrooms. Well, I think that reflection piece is really important for students, too. And, you know, Beth and I have talked about this before, about how important it is for students to understand what's engaging to them and how they learn. So if they can think about why this assignment wasn't engaging for them or why they were really into it, it helps them identify maybe some tasks for later. Um, if, if there is some choice built into that playlist, oh, you know what, this learning activity is going to really work for me because I really enjoy learning in this way. Um, and so they're not like floundering around in it, like, eh, not, I don't really care about any of this. And, and then you can get that feedback too. Like, this is really engaging to me because I really enjoy watching, um, or listening to a podcast instead of watching a video that works better for me as a teacher. Then I can take that. And I also offer a better learning opportunity for those students that really, um, find that exciting or something, you know, something unique for them. It also gives you a grouping option. Like the kids that learn this way, they could be grouped together and you could ask them to have a small group discussion based on, which could be digital, based on their learning style. Um, Yeah, I think that's really important. I think that whole engagement piece, um, some of the playlists that I've seen as we move farther into the year and everybody gets more practice with these, leave options where students can fill in their own choices. Like, here's what I want to do to demonstrate my learning, or here's what, here's what I want to learn about this topic. Like all of that is open as you move farther through this process. Beth, any final thoughts, any things that we have to round off in this playlist conversation we haven't talked about that you are just dying to tell our listeners? You know, no, I don't, I can't think of everything except that sometimes what people say is, well, how's a playlist different than a checklist? That goes back to that whole beginning conversation where we talked about playlists and choice boards and what's different. And checklists also kind of get thrown in sometimes. Um, I think that checklists and are tasks that students choose the order they complete things. A Mm. playlist really is a progression, a whole picture progression. A checklist might be the five tasks I need to complete today. I can do them in whatever order I want. So I feel like the playlist is really the holy grail and choice boards and checklists might feed into that, but playlist kind of includes all of it. And and I I feel like it really allows the teacher that this brings the art of teaching because you know, as a teacher, how to craft the process and the progression of learning. That's what the playlist allows a teacher to do. A checklist tends to be just a list of tasks, you know, here's this, do this, this, and that doesn't, Um, allow the teacher because a playlist you can have your own teacher made videos in there you can have you know you you bring in you bring in the whole picture of what you're going to be doing for students in the show notes we'll include the hyperdocs i also have two other kind of um, blog posts that have been from outside sources that really one is about differentiated instruction through playlists that is very um There's some examples in there that are like secondary language arts examples that are really, um, they're very good. They're very helpful to see a big picture. And the last one is choice boards. And it's really about all different kinds of choice boards that you might want to use, especially in the demonstrate learning assessment piece of the learning process. Like how can you use these in different ways? So those three things will be included in the show notes. All right, so up next, my favorite part of the show, Tech Nugget. 
lists. Who's going first? Everybody's got something on this list. I think Beth should go first. Okay. Okay, I can do that. Um, I saw, so I am subscribed to Kathy Schrock's uh, Coffee Clutch. Coffee Clutch. I don't know exactly how to say whatever it's called. Her, it's a German word. Okay. Um, that she sends out with like tech ideas. And she shared Ipivo's mirror cam, Mm -hmm. which is a super interesting um, little gadget that you attach to your webcam and it reflects down that you can put like a whiteboard down there and you can draw or you can put manipulatives or you could put, I mean, it really makes your laptop into a dock camera. Mm -hmm. Um, Mindy and I decided to try this with... A yep. couple other really? with a, with the little Osmo um, connection, and it flips everything, like things that need to be mirrored. Well, the IPVO doc, uh, this IPVO um, mirror cam, the mirror is what mm-hmm. flips it back to make, make it be the right way for students to see it. Right. It's a pretty, pretty slick little um, gadget. It mm-hmm. comes in six mirror cams for... $40. They're back ordered right now, but I think that it could be a solution for teachers, especially teachers that need to want to be able to draw like a math, write out a math problem mm-hmm. or show manipulatives or yeah, all the dot cam reasons. Which is super interesting because I was telling Beth, it was funny because Beth had sent this out as an email and then Wiley said, oh, this sounds a lot like the Osmo attachment. And So last year I had a teacher who was using Chromebooks with Seesaw. And so they were struggling with the camera aspect of it because they're like, well, because they didn't have flip Chromebooks. So it was really hard to use that camera on the Chromebook. And I said, well, do you have an Osmo? Or the other thing I've seen is compact um, makeup mirrors that you tape that onto the back of your um, computer. And then you can adjust that camera a little bit better than you or the mirror. I'm sorry, better than you could with this Osmo attachment. But the nice thing about it sounds like this mirror cam is the ability to flip it because otherwise it does kind of reverse it and make it look kind of funky. But that compact mirror thing is still a solution if you're using manipulatives or something like that and um, or just want to take a picture of something. Um, I don't know what because a lot of times when you take a picture like the picture flips for you. Like everything is in reverse, right? Isn't that how pictures work? Everything is always in reverse. It's the technology that flips it back around for you. So I'm curious, like if you're using it with Seesaw, even if you were to take a picture and it looks in reverse, would it flip the right way? I don't know. Well, and and I know that Zoom has that flipping feature, right? Yeah, right. played around with that and it hasn't been consistently successful. iOS 14, you will be able to flip the selfie camera. So that oh. it does it the other way around, because by default, when you take a picture of yourself in a selfie, if you're yeah. looking one way, it'll, the picture will be the other way. So you can have okay. it go both ways. But I think it's really interesting. One other thing that we found out was Mindy was writing oh, yeah. with a Sharpie and it bled through her paper. Mm-hmm. So when you laid that down with the camera and you flipped the paper over, it was actually correct. Mm-hmm. So oh. the bleed yeah. through... I mean, it made this be a reverse. Um, it, it did the work for us. So, so does know, that look right right now? The way I have it, can you read you it? I have it. I need it this way. No, turn the turn the LMS so that's there. You go that way. Yeah, there we that's go. Right. Can you read that's that, right. Wiley? I can read that. Yep. Yeah. So that's the back of my paper with the marker bled through. Mm. So you read it. Yeah. Interesting. Huh? Super <laughs> super weird uh, option, but there's a work. There's a very cheap workaround for you. Yeah, and the way they do it, um, the way IPVO do it, they have free software you can download and uh, adjust things like like you would on a projector, like keystone correction mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And yeah, they'll, they'll sure. do the okay. flip picture and, and highlights. So, uh, yeah, I think this is a great option for teachers right now. I want to make some really fast instructional videos, stick a whiteboard yeah, under there right. and yep. start recording your webcam and you are off. Mm-hmm. All right, Wiley, it looks like yours is next. Okay, so I happen to see this on Larry Ferlazzo's blog. He is a mm-hmm. California um, teacher, and he shares amazing resources and things. He's like a, like Richard Byrne in lots of ways. 
mm-hmm. um, but I thought it's worth sharing that the New York Times is available to high school students and teachers across the United States for free until September 1, 2021. Oh, I thought you were going to say t- <laughs> I was like, well, that was two days ago. No, not until September 1. (laughs) Until September 1 next year. You got one free paper and you missed it. (laughs) So with this offer, you get unlimited access to articles, videos, and more on nytimes.com and in the New York Times app. Uh, You also get access to all those learning network um, lessons and podcasts and things on there. So it is open to all high school students. and teachers in the U.S. and they have a a little form that you fill in in order to um, apply for that and get access. But I see John Rogers on this because I thought his oh, journalism sure. class might be um, uh, yeah, interested in right. something like this and having access to uh, some articles from the failing New York Times. Mm-hmm. Did you say the failing New York Times? Isn't that what they're called these days? Are they? I don't know. That's like a political statement, I think. Okay. Uh-oh. Moving on. What's your nugget, Mindy? Call whatever you want. Yeah. Um, well, it's not really mine either. It's Beth. She pointed, um, shared it with me when we were talking, and she said, hey, have you seen this class hook thing? Which I had not. So this is a super cool little um, kind of curation tool, I suppose, of sorts, because there's videos that you can pull from to help you, to help illustrate from popular movies, I should say. Um, that help you illustrate maybe more complex ideas. So um, the example here on this blog post is um, the introduction of this, I don't even know what this is, the second law of thermodynamics with the Simpsons. Those two don't really go together, but kind of an interesting way to um, maybe get the message across or help understand it in a different manner. Um, there's another example here called Stealthy Hank from Finding Dory provides some great examples of animal adaptations. So just um, maybe more intriguing and engaging way to introduce new concepts to students with popular movie clips. I like it. And is it classhook.com? Classhooksure.com. I'm on a blog post. I don't know. Uh, yes, it is. I just tried it. Okay. Thank you. All right. That's I would mine. just, uh, this will be okay, offline as well, but I see that, that you oh. have uh, free plans and premium plans. Oh, of course they do. $5 a month for a premium teacher or custom district pricing. Hmm. So, so it'd be interesting to see how much is available in the free. I don't, I mean, yeah, right. Classhook, Classhook has been around for a long time. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, we'll right. let our listeners figure that out. Okay. So what else have we got on this list? Who else has got a tech oh. nugget to share? I have one more on there. Whose is the last one on here? That would be mine. Oh, okay. Did you want to go next and then I'll do the last? Or is that yours really amazing and should be the showstopper? Um, no, not necessarily. But okay. I will go next. I did. Oh, okay. I did find this just this morning. I was talking to um, a district leader who mm-hmm. was um, talking about how their teachers are screencasting. And there's this Chrome extension that I had not seen before called WebPaint. Uh, what WebPaint does is it gives you an annotation tools that you can use on top of any website that you are navigating to. So if you have to do some kind of screencast or instructional video and your screencasting tool of choice does not necessarily have any of those built-in annotation tools, then you can fire those up with the Web Paint extension. And you can see they've got like uh, pencils, they've got text, they've got arrows and lines, they've got shapes different colors, different transparency, and you can take a screenshot of anything that you mark up on the screen. So you could use it synchronously or asynchronously, I guess. But uh, yeah, fun little free extension to play with if you are interested in doing that kind of thing. Well, thank you for that little tidbit. Um, So I have one last tech nugget. And Wiley, you'll probably be able to tell me whether or not this is new or not. So I'm not sure if it's new, but it's the first time I noticed it. I was in a Google Doc yesterday, and I'm not a huge Keep user. I mean, I like it when I have a collaborative list with someone, but not one of my 
um, go-to tools for like curation or whatever. So I wanted to make a to-do list while I was in a Google Doc, which is not something I normally do. So I used the little Google Keep icon in Docs over on the right-hand side navigation. And so I clicked on it and then I was like, take a new note. So once I clicked on that, clicked on um, take a note, it labeled my note with the label of the Google Doc I was in. Hmm. Did you know that that was a thing? I'm not a big Google Keep user, so if that was a thing, I didn't know about it. But I've just tried it right now. I pulled it up on our episode doc here, and it has provided a link like it would in an email or something. It just links it underneath the note. Yeah, so I can click on that. It takes me straight into the doc. Love it. Hmm. So I don't know if that's new or not. I don't know. Stacey Beamer will know or Amber Ridge will know, I'm sure, because they're big Google Keep users. But I thought that was kind of a nice little perk, especially for kids, executive function stuff. I could be in my Google Doc and have a to-do list and have it all linked there nice and pretty for me in Google Keep. All right. We've been talking long enough. We should probably sign off and uh, yes. let people get on and do the other things that they have to do today. Mm-hmm. Beth, where can people find you on the internets? On the internets, um, I am Bet Swan on Twitter. I am my email address through Digital Learning GWAEA, and um, those are the two main places that I live, probably. Mm-hmm. Mindy, who Thanks are you? Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, who am I? No, uh, no, I'm I at Team Carney, but I'm not on Twitter really. So don't don't tweet me anymore. I can't go on there. It's too hard for me. So if you need to get a hold of me. Do it through Jonathan Wiley. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Maybe that's a hot topic somewhere. Oh, maybe. (laughs) Uh, I am at Jonathan Wiley. Our team account is at dlgwaea.org. So until next time. This has been the Tech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast.